0: To Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. That is where we are um, this morning as we are going to see uh, a progressive faith and a restored sight. I love these verses that we're going to read this morning because we really see um, a handful of really, really, really neat things. um, Especially and, and, and maybe specifically, we see yet again the character of Christ being developed, right? Um, If you're here this morning and you're at all confused about the person of Christ, the work of Christ, um, the the messiahship of Christ, you're not alone. Um, These guys that are going to even be talking to Jesus this morning are confused as well. His disciples are feeling a sense of confusion at this point in Mark's gospel. And so uh, we're all together, right? We're on the the same page. Um, And our desire this morning is to come to Mark chapter 8, and to um, see just wonderful, wonderful truths from God's Word, and He's faithful um, to, as we're going to see this morning, open eyes to see Him for uh, who He is. And so, uh, Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 22 through 26 is where we're going to... To be this morning. I want to I do a few things in the beginning. I want to lay out a purpose of our time in this passage together. And so um, if you're a note taker or you like have your, your iPhone, hey, make a note of this. This might be helpful, might be beneficial to consider as we work our way through the passage. We are going to this morning from Mark 8, observe Christ's healing of a blind man. We're going to see Christ restore sight to a blind man. Man, And in doing so, we are going to see the humility of Christ and His work to open the spiritual eyes of people, to see Him as the suffering servant, the Messiah who makes communion with God possible. And so as we approach our passage this morning, there's this need to understand and embrace that apart from the redemptive work of Jesus that we are unable to truly enjoy communion with God. Why is that? Well, because there's this chapter in the Bible called Genesis chapter 3, right? And it unfolds for us how we and the world have come to the position that we are, why we are in the shape that we are in, why things are so hectic and chaotic and broken, Right? Why we struggle, right? And why we see such evil and destruction in the world around us. What is, what is the secret? What is the problem? It is sin. And so this morning, we're going to see God um, open the eyes of a blind man. And in doing so, he's going to point us towards this greater reality, right? That our spiritual eyes are in need of being opened, right? Does that make sense? That, that naturally our eyes are closed. That naturally we are hostile to God. That we don't desire intimacy and relationship and communion with God. We desire satisfaction from the things that the world provides us, right? That's where we are naturally in and of ourselves. This morning we see that God opens the eyes of the blind, pointing to this greater reality that our spiritual eyes can indeed be opened and that we might be brought into communion with God, that we can enjoy communion and community with God. Are y'all with me so far? This is where we're going. Purpose, Mark chapter 8, the disciples are confused, these guys that Jesus is going to be talking to are confused, and so we're going to see him clarify some things for us. We're continuing through this series that is Mark's Gospel That we began some seven months ago, in which we see Mark's presentation of Jesus, who is the suffering servant. That's what made things so challenging for all of those people that are around Jesus, that find themselves gravitating to Jesus, or confronted by Jesus, or called by Christ, is that they're so confused about what type of Messiah Jesus is to be. Right? They're so confused about what type of Christ. Jesus is to be the one that they've been waiting for. He looks very different than what they had expected. And so last week, as we opened our time uh, together, or no, well, yeah, we did. Uh, in Mark chapter 8, um, we saw a, a turning point. Right? in which Jesus is now moving from addressing primarily the masses and, and confronting their understanding of who he is um, and what he looks like and, and what the kingdom of God looks like to now doing much of the same thing but doing it with his disciples, right? encouraging them towards and providing them with new sight, which brings us to this issue of expectation. As it relates to the Messiah, we've already uh, addressed the issue even even today, right, of the people's confusion concerning what type of Messiah Jesus would be. Why was there such confusion? Well, because a lot of people were expecting this militaristic leader to ride into town and finally and fully deliver a people to judge God's people's enemies and to restore them, right, to, to elevate them and to exalt them. This is the expectation. Right? That, that the Messiah Jesus would by force take charge, right that he would begin in essence um, laying down the law, right? That, that, that things would change drastically for God's people and for uh, the enemies of God. This is a work that Jesus is to accomplish for his people, but it's one that would be accomplished in a much different way than people anticipated. That's my son. Nobody's being murdered in that room. Right? Our <laughs> um, let's just address the crying baby elephant in the room, right? That's him. Um, and my poor wife is in there. So pray for her as, as well. Um, <laughs> so what can we say about Christ restoring sight? Let's say this, because this is what we're going to see from the passage this morning, that Jesus... Jesus restores sight and brings light and life, okay? Jesus restores sight and brings life and light. This is what he does, right? He he does this for his people. He does this for a rebellious people. He does this for sinners, right? And so this this is our expectation as we approach this passage this morning, understanding this reality. Three things that I want us to observe from this passage. The first one is this. We are going to see an expectation in tension, okay? We're going to see a couple of different people present in this passage, and their expectations for what is to take place in just this handful of verses could not be at more opposite ends of the spectrum, right? We're going to see this tension as it relates to the expectation of the people and what Jesus is going to do. Y'all with me so far? right? And then we're going to see the patience of Jesus. We're going to see the patience of Christ. And so we've got this expectation and tension. We've got Christ and his patience. And then we're going to kind of go back to this, this issue of expectation because at the end we find that all of the expectations of the people are surpassed. Okay, so there's this tension in the beginning. And then we see this, this demonstration of the character of Jesus that if we step back As we close our time out this morning, we're going to see that all of the expectations of all of the people present are exceeded. That Jesus exceeds expectation. That he does more than we could ever imagine, than we could ever hope for. This is the reality of the person and the work of Christ. And so let's go to our passage this morning. Let's go to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading in verse 22. We're just reading a handful of verses down through verse 26. This is uh, indeed the word of the Lord. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man, this is Jesus, takes the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and had laid his hands on him, he asked him. And so we're seeing this work begin for this man who approaches Jesus upon the urging of his friends who is blind. And so Jesus begins to work this, this miracle, and he asks him, Do you see anything? Verse 24. And he looked up the blind man and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he, being Jesus, sent him to his home, saying... Do not even enter the village. Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We pray uh, that as we see displayed in this passage this morning from Mark's gospel, uh, as the eyes of the blind are open, that you might open our eyes uh, this morning, our our spiritual eyes to see uh, the hope of the gospel and to enjoy all that you're coming into um, this this place, into this world, and and establishing your kingdom and ultimately bringing it, ruling and reigning forever, that that might encourage us this morning towards all that you call your people to, that your grace this morning might be of the most encouragement for us as we seek to live in light of the truth that we see. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's start with this. Let's start by addressing this expectation that we see intention among the characters in this passage. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Hang with me for just a moment. Look at verse 22. Okay, so the disciples and Jesus—they've been moving around. We found in most recent chapters that they're moving primarily within a Gentile region at this particular point within the earthly ministry of Jesus. So they come to Bethsaida, and some people. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And so how does verse 22 inform our understanding of the expectations of this particular group of people as they approach Jesus? Well, there's a lot here. First, who are the primary characters in the story? Well, you've got Jesus, who, as we've already mentioned, yet again this morning finds himself along with his disciples in a majority Gentile area addressing a non-Jewish people. And so you've got Jesus, right? And then you've got his disciples, right? His, His friends, the 12, who have just been confronted where we saw last week from Mark 8, have just been confronted by Jesus for their inability to see. And so just last week, we see this conversation between Jesus and his disciples in a boat. Jesus has just multiplied uh, a meal for the second time and fed a mass number of people. The disciples and Jesus load into a boat and they set off for the other side. And as they're traveling, the disciples begin to look around and go, man, snap, we've only got one loaf of bread. Right? To which Jesus begins asking them a series of questions about their inability to properly apply and understand all that he has done up until this point. Be that I just fed 5,000 people, 4,000 people, and then the multitude before right, with a handful of bread and, and some fish. And now we're, we're confused about this issue of bread. And he closes that time last week by asking them, do you not understand? He asks them in verse 18, um, having eyes, do you not see? That's what he asks them last week in light of their question following the feeding of the masses. Do you not see? And so there's this issue of sight that we're being confronted with as we approach this passage within Mark chapter 8. This morning, the disciples confronted just last week about their inability to see. We see a group of friends, and then we have this blind man. And so what we want to do is we begin our time this morning, stay there in your Bible, okay? This is where we are. We're camped out in verses 22 through 26 this morning. So follow along with me, man. I'm not making this stuff up, right? You can see this as we begin working our way through. What I want us to do is to explore the tension— that is found in the expectations of the blind man, right? His expectation, this belief that something will or will not happen, and his friends for a very specific purpose. Why are we exploring this tension? Well, in order that our expectations as they relate to Jesus might be informed or maybe in some cases even transformed. That's our desire. You guys with me? This is what we're working towards. This is what we want. So let's look first at this group of friends. What do we notice about this group of guys? Well, you probably have some things that you noticed just as we begin reading through this passage. Let me point out a few for us though. Okay, we see a group of guys who have apparently heard about what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. Right, that the word has been traveling around about what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. People being made well, right, people who are oppressed by demons being being liberated and set free, right, the sick being made physically well, sins being forgiven, Right? They're, they're hearing about what Jesus is doing. Perhaps they've even seen it. We don't know uh, for sure. But as a result, they have this certain expectation as it relates to Jesus and his interaction with one of their friends who is physically blind. And this expectation produces for them a plan of action, as oftentimes expectations Dude, right? Anybody watch the big fight last night? Anybody? A few of you, everyone who's like falling asleep right now, we were all there watching the fight last night, right? Yeah, it was on so, so late, right? Well, when you go into a fight like last night, for the guys of us who who watched it, right, there's this expectation of how the fight is going to play out, and as a result, there is certain action and preparation that leads up to this event, is there not, right? There's an expectation that produces an action. That's exactly what we see from this group of guys here. Right? They have this expectation of Jesus, and then this plan of action that develops, which is to receive a touch from Jesus for their blind friend. So they have an expectation, but they have an expectation that is in need of some correction. If we see in Mark chapter 5, Jesus heal a woman with an issue of blood who pushes her way through this large crowd in order to touch the garment of Jesus. And miraculously, she is made well. She's healed. Right? Only in the conversation that followed, Jesus clarifies for her and for us the means of this miracle. What does he say? Well, let me take us back to Mark chapter 5 for just a a moment. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Therefore, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, this is something incredible because nobody up until this point has been able to deal with this lady's issue, which we talked about as we went through Mark chapter 5. So let's not lose sight of the incredible nature of the healing of Mark chapter 5. Here in Mark 8... We see a group of friends that appear to have this belief that the touch of Christ results in healing. Right? There is an expectation, but there's a disconnect as it relates to the means. Let me give you another example of how this plays itself out. Okay? Um, we see things like this in other areas of the Christian faith like baptism. Okay, let me give you an example. Let me relate what we see going on here in Mark chapter 8 and this relationship between the expectation and the means with where we are and perhaps some of the things that we believe. As Baptists, okay, we believe and practice believers' baptism or immersion as our mode of baptism. Okay, so let me explain to you what we believe about baptism and then I'm going to connect this to Mark 8. Hang with me here, all right? Let's do a little bit of work here in the beginning. We believe baptism to be an act of obedience that displays outwardly an inward transformation. Okay, it's an outward display of an inward transformation, of a work of grace within us. Baptism is the outward expression of this, it's a display of this. Baptism does not produce regeneration. Okay? To, to be baptized, to simply be baptized without ever uh, repenting or believing, confessing, right? Faith is not to be saved, right? That's not what baptism does. The act of baptism itself does not wash away our sins, okay? Baptism is a response to the regenerating work of the Spirit within a people's heart, okay? And so the Spirit works this gospel truth into our person, there's this repentance and belief, this faith in Jesus. And in response to that, there is a, okay, well now I'm going to be, I'm going to be baptized. But we've all probably heard or seen ideas related to this. Okay, I'm going to be baptized and when I'm baptized, man, it's like all my sins wash out in the water. Don't touch it. It's nasty. Get it down the drain, right? That type of thing. That's not what we see happening in baptism. In fact, baptism does not even ensure one's salvation. Just because you've been baptized does not mean that you are regenerate. Does that make sense? Just because you've been baptized does not mean that you are saved. It is, however, an act of obedience that serves as a symbol of of the regeneration, of the new heart, of the new, of the being born uh, new, born again, that takes place in you through repentance and faith in what? In the righteousness of Christ, in his sacrifice for you and I. Baptism is a visual representation of your connection to Christ, his commitment to you, and now your commitment to him. That's what baptism is, right? It doesn't save you. Baptism in and of itself does not regenerate you. It does not make you alive. Well, let's go back to Mark chapter 8. This is a group of friends that believe that if they are touched by Jesus, then they are made well. In this case, that their friend might see. What I'm trying to tell us this morning is that there's this, there's this correction that's needed in terms of the mode of their expectation. Right, the touch of Jesus is not what brings about sight. What is it that brings about sight? It's Jesus that brings about sight. Okay, we've seen a, a multiple examples of Jesus up until this point healing in a, in different ways. Right, sometimes he just says something. Right, sometimes he he just he does touch. Right, sometimes he casts out. We see Jesus in the Gospels heal over distances. Right? Not even needing to, like, go to somebody's house to make them well. Just being like, okay, boom, made well. Right? Like, from a great distance, naturally. Of course Jesus can do that. Right? Like, I mean, he, he literally placed everything that we see around us in place. Right? He, he sustains us. He keeps us even now. If you are drawing breath, do you know why you're drawing breath? I man? because Christ has set his grace upon you that you might draw breath. Does he have to touch you to make you well? Here, this is the expectation of this particular group. Touch our friend and make him see. Jesus is about to totally revolutionize their understanding of what he is indeed capable of. And so let's look at our our third character, the blind man. A friend in need of Christ. Now, if the friends of this guy have a misguided expectation, which we've already sought to like establish that they do. Is everybody on the same page? We kind of get what we're talking about so far? If the friends have a misguided expectation, then, then this guy, the blind man, had little to no expectation whatsoever. From verse 22, it would seem as though he is totally passive in terms of his engagement with Jesus, right, to the point that we can say with a fairly high degree of certainty that if it were not for his friends and the gracious engagement of Jesus, the events of verses 22 through 26 are non-existent. The blind man is not even asking Jesus to open his own eyes, we can compare this with what we see from a guy named Blind Bartimaeus. You guys familiar with Blind Bartimaeus? Have you've ever heard this story before, right? Who, who literally cries out, very similar to something that we sang this morning, right? Son of David, have mercy on me. Restore my sight. We see him crying out. We see him pleading with the Lord to do this miraculous work, right? Here, we've got a blind guy who has, he says nothing, Right? He says nothing. He doesn't ask Jesus to open his eyes. We don't get any indication that he really, like, hey, friends, like walk me to Jesus, like, and let's do this thing. We don't get any, we don't get any inkling of that. And so, whereas the friends have the expectation, it's just misguided, it looks like this dude has little to no expectation at all. That's important as we understand what Jesus does over the course of the next over the course of the next few verses. We see from Jesus despite his total lack of expectation, a commitment. A commitment to to heal him, but but more so what we see is a commitment to the development of faith within this guy. Okay, how are we going to go from no faith to like lots of faith? Well, we're going to see Jesus make this progression for us and to give him sight. Which brings us to our second observation this morning. We see the patience of Christ. You see, there's a progression to the work of Jesus among uh, the blind man and his friends. And I would lump his disciples into that category too. Okay? There's a progressive work that Jesus is doing. We've already said Jesus could have healed him with a touch, with a word, with a thought, but he elects to take the man by the hand and lead him outside the city. There is an undeniable knowledge that Jesus possesses. Jesus knows. We've seen already through Mark's gospel, all you have to do is begin thinking certain things and Jesus knows the condition of the heart. We've seen it here already in Mark's gospel. It makes him to understand the hearts of those around him. He certainly grasps the desire and the expectation of the friend. He grasps the hesitation of the blind man and any confusion that the disciples are experiencing as a result of this situation that is unfolding. Because don't forget the disciples are there. I kind of picture these guys just like following closely behind, right? Like trying to figure out what Jesus is doing. Jesus prolongs the healing of this blind man, and he does so in order to communicate a deeper truth to all the parties involved. Look at verse 23 with me. Jesus takes the blind man by the hand, and he leads him out of the village. And so we see this degree of intimacy even here between Jesus and the blind man. Jesus is going to be really, really hands-on with this guy. Right, he, he takes him by the hand, and he leads him. As we continue on through verse 22, we see that he spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, and he asked him, do you see anything? This guy is uh, what would be considered by many within the culture as, as dirty, as undesirable, as broken. And for Jesus... To, to engage him the way that he does communicates both again his patience but also his compassion right that Jesus is compassionate. So do you have room in your theology of Jesus and your understanding of who Jesus is to grasp his compassion? We have to right the, the cross of Christ makes no sense apart from the compassionate heart of Jesus right And so here we see this being developed yet again Jesus. Chilling with undesirables, right? Like reaching out and touching. Just a few chapters ago, we were talking about the traditions of the elders where these guys, if they came in contact with a Gentile or someone who was uh, ceremonially unclean, what did they do? Well, they went home and they like washed up, right? Jesus again engages here the societally undesirable, right? Those within the culture that are broken and ostracized and marginalized, those in the most need, even when they don't grasp their own need. Obviously, this dude knows he can't see, but he's got Jesus, like the hope of the world before him, and he does not respond in the same way that we see blind Bartimaeus respond, son of David, have mercy on me, right? Jesus is committed. He is patient, and he is committed to the development of faith. That's good news for you and I. Okay, that's good news for you and I personally, and that's good news for you and I as it relates to our engagement with other people, friends and family who are not believers, who are not Christians, right? Why do we continue to pray, right? Why do we continue to share? Why do we continue to engage? Well, because we believe that the Lord is committed to the salvation of sinners and that he does so through the proclamation of the gospel by the power of his spirit, right? We believe that. So this informs them the way that we engage other people. We see Jesus here being patient and compassionate. Patient and compassionate, right? Do you see anything, he asked. Listen to the guy's response in verse 24. <laughs> this is incredible. He looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Is that interesting to anybody else? I just mean I see people, but they look like trees walking. I think Robert Moody and myself were having a uh, maybe, and maybe Duncan was in on it too. A conversation about this passage earlier this week, talking about the trees thing. Like, what does it mean? What, what's the symbolism behind the trees? I'll be totally honest, man. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know that I get it, but I do understand this: the people aren't trees. And so that there is this idea as though Jesus has began the healing process in this guy, but it is not yet complete. Why? Well, because he looks out upon the people and he says, they look like trees, right? So there's something that's lacking still. And so we have to ask a question at this point. Right? Could Jesus not heal this man with a single touch? Like, is, is, is he still like, you know, kind of like, uh, like putting things in place? Right? Could he not do it? Oh, whoa! Plugged the wrong puzzle piece into the wrong place. Let's pull that one out. Right? Doing crossword puzzles with a with a pencil type thing. Right? Let's rework that one a little bit. It's not trial and error. There's an intentionality to what Jesus is doing here. Of course, he could have healed this guy with a single touch. What is he doing though? Well, he's producing faith within the blind man, right? he's, he's he's, He's producing faith within the blind man and hope for his condition. This is the same guy that when Jesus comes to town, his friends bring him to Jesus. This guy isn't even waiting on the curb for Jesus to come. I'll tell you what, I like to think that if I was blind, and I heard that there was hope for sight. If there were any inkling of like expectation or desire within me, that I would sit on the curb until the parade came through, right? I like to think that. This guy had no desire. And so Jesus takes him by the hand. He leads him outside of town. He spits on his eyes. He begins the process. He asks him, do you see anything? And a guy who has at to this point been able to see, we don't know if he's never been able to see, but he certainly hasn't seen in some time. Says, I'm starting to see. Like, I'm starting to see. Whereas, like, 12 minutes ago, I had no expectation. Now, like, my curiosity is certainly heightened because I could see nothing. And now, while I see people and they look like trees, and I would like to work that out, right? I'm seeing something. Jesus, at the same time, is speaking towards the sight that his disciples are currently lacking as it relates to him. There's still confusion amongst the disciples. This is not just for the blind man. Okay, what we see going on here in Mark chapter 8 isn't just for the blind man, but there's also this essence in which Jesus is displaying for his disciples the, the the transformation that needs to take place in their own eyes, as he addressed earlier on their inability to see. He's working on multiple planes here. This is a seven layer salad all day long, right? The disciples see to some degree, but it's still a little hazy. It's still a little fuzzy. They're still lacking complete clarity. This is affirmed later on in Mark 8. In just a few weeks, we're going to come to Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. He is going to make this very bold confession, this very right confession of Jesus while still not totally understanding everything that he is saying. Because there's still this confusion about the suffering servant that is Jesus, right? The the militaristic leader is the expectation. And so Jesus is still working on their eyes. And he's still bringing them into a position that they might understand what he has truly come to accomplish. That he's bringing the kingdom... Right, that he's bringing forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. But how is he doing it? He is doing it by coming and going and suffering upon the cross for his people. Right, that's what the messiahship of Jesus looks like. That's what that's what Christ looks like. It wasn't the expectation, but it's certainly what he has come to accomplish. Jesus is teaching us all something here about spiritual darkness, and all that this condition means about our connection to God, which brings us to our final observation this morning, the surpassed expectation that we see within this passage. Let's read the end of the passage together. Look with me at verse 25 and 26. The man says, I see people, men, right, but they look like, they look like trees. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And whereas we had a guy who just a few verses earlier, just a few lines earlier, saw men that looked like trees, now he sees everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. It will be crazy. I added that last part in there. We see the expectations of this group of people surpassed. We see perhaps even our expectations surpassed as we conclude our time in this passage. As it relates to the friends, the humanity and the service of Christ is displayed along with his deity. right? For the blind man with no expectation to the introduction of hope, a growing faith, and finally the full fruition of all the healing that he could never have imagined. And for the disciples, Jesus sets the stage for what we will know and understand as their second touch, in which even the things that they profess now, specifically Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, will be more fully realized as their eyes are opened to see Jesus for who he was. Right? This is the same confusion that the room, the same confession that the Roman soldier makes of Christ as he dies. Isn't it interesting that Peter, next week or in a couple of weeks, we're going to see him make this confession as it relates to the person of Christ. Who do people say that I am? Surely you are the Christ. We go to the cross, and what do we see? We see all Jesus' friends scattered, right? We see Peter denied run away, and hide. Christ pours out his life upon the cross to the glory of the Father and for the good of sinners. And the first one to make this right confession following the crucifixion of Jesus is a Roman soldier who gazes upon the crucified body of Christ and exclaims, surely this was the Son of God. You see, the issue is our spiritual state. As we come to this passage, we need to understand that, that physical sight is the least of our concerns. Now, there is certainly an aspect and an element in which we can say this that sin has affected our bodies. That sin affects our tongue, it affects our minds, it affects our limbs, right? The wages of sin is death, right? None of us are getting out of here alive, right? There's a sense in which the gospel reverses this, right? It undoes it. Why? Well, because Christ is to conquer death, right? He gives his life upon the cross. He's buried in the ground. And then three days later, what does he do? He conquers the most certain thing in this life that we can look to apart from taxes. (laughs) Or he conquers death. In which case, we can cling to the hope and the reality that one day all of the consequences of the rebellion of Adam in Genesis chapter 3 that we continue to feel the effects of today will be undone, right? We can look to that. We can know that. And so where we struggle with brokenness and where we struggle with pain and difficulty, mental and physical, we can know that there is hope in the gospel that one day those things will be undone. This This is a shadow of that, right? The shadow of it, but even greater than all of the physical benefits that we are to experience one day are the spiritual benefits made available to us in this life and on into the next. And that is this: that we have sin, we have rebelled from God, we have rejected Him. We are the blind man sitting on the curb with no desire for sight. Right? You guys get this. This is where we are. It's our condition. And yet, Jesus displays patience and commitment to the restoration of that which is broken, right? For the, in the spiritual sense, whereas our eyes are closed. Uh, hey, the blind can't, can't open their eyes, right? The blind can't regain sight in and of themselves. Not only can they not do that, there's no desire to do that as we look at it and observe it spiritually. But Christ opens our eyes, He opens our eyes. He's committed to it. Even when we aren't looking, he is committed to restore sight. And that's exactly what we see him do in this passage. The issue of our spiritual sight, our sin that results in darkness, that is the real issue. Being in darkness physically is a display of the sinner's natural state spiritually. John Owen said this in his book, Communion with God, which is legit. You should check it out. He says, because of sin, no man in his natural state has fellowship with God. God is light, and we are not just in darkness, but we are darkness, right? That's where we dwell. That is what we are made up of, and we are perfectly content in existing there. Darkness equates with what? With condemnation, but Jesus brings us back. Jesus brings us back. He reminds us who we are and helps us to believe. He erases our sin and changes us forever. Faith is the true sight. Faith is the true sight. And it's a gift. It's a gift from the Lord that we see fostered and developed through this passage that causes us to see with new eyes. And so if you're here this morning and you have faith, right, know that that faith is a gift, that that faith is a gift from the Lord, that he has given it to you, that he has sought you, that he has called you, that he has extended it to you, that he has saved you, he has rescued you. Jesus is the king, right? Jesus is the hero. And that now that this faith has been given and our lives are transformed and the way that we see the world, the way that we see God is transformed, we begin to relate in every other area differently. We begin to relate with people differently and we begin to relate with God differently. This is made possible. This is made available through the hope of the resurrection. We are, get this, brought into (laughs) fellowship with God as our spiritually blind eyes are opened to the mercy of Christ and the goodness of the Father. Insert John 1, 1 John 1, 3. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where our fellowship is now. We can enjoy communion with God. So this two-stage miracle shows us that Jesus will not give up on us. Right, He who has begun a good work in us, what does the Bible say? Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. He who has begun a good work in us, what? Will surely complete it. He will bring it to fruition. He will complete it. Man, that is indeed credibly good news. And so what's our purpose in light of this passage this morning, man? Observe Christ's healing of the blind man in Mark 8. See the humility of Christ and his work to open the spiritual eyes of people, that they might see him as the suffering servant, the Messiah that makes communion with God possible. Through his obedience and through his suffering, absorbing all of God's wrath that you and I deserve and bringing us into right relationship with him. And so what do we want to close with? How do we respond to this passage? You have a place on your notes that we give out every week to where you can say, man, this is how I respond to God's word this morning. Here's how I respond to God's word. If you've already filled that out, great, man. Let's try to relate it back to the passage though. How do we respond in light of what we see here? Man, see Christ. See Christ. Gaze upon him. If your eyes have been opened to the reality of your spiritual brokenness and the hope of the gospel, I man, glorify Christ because it is a gift. Right? It's a gift. If you're here, you're in this room, we're gonna sing a song in a minute. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper and we're going to sing a song. And if your eyes have been opened, I mean, we ought to sing like a people whose eyes have been opened, right? This is good news, right? Like we are restored. We are given sight. We are reconciled. And so we see Christ and we worship Christ. To see Christ is to worship Christ. Equate those two things together. To see Christ is to worship Christ. And so let us worship Christ. As we go to the table. God's people enjoying yet again this week the broken bread, right? And the juice, remembering his sacrifice upon the cross that makes all of this possible, right? Remember, go worshipfully. Let us go worshipfully to the table as we remember Christ slain for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of the resurrection, that he is alive and that we will in him one day be more alive than we could ever hope to be in this life. That's the hope of the gospel. To see Christ is to worship Christ and remain committed. Here it is. This is like feet and hands to what we're talking about here. Remain committed and hopeful for the regeneration of the lost, right? Remain committed and hopeful to Christ's work amongst sinners, that he will continue to make dead hearts beat again. Believe that. Do you believe that? Let me give you a really practical way that this works itself out. If any of you have family members or friends who are not Christians, and maybe you're here with that person today, right? If you have friends or family members that are not Christians, man, there are people in this room that undoubtedly have been praying for a particular person for years, right? To what seems like to no end, right? Right? Mark A brings us hope, right? Mark A brings hope to those who are committed to the salvation of their family and friends, right? Seeing Christ do a miraculous work as the gospel is proclaimed right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we communicate faithfully week after week after week. Christ here is committed. He is the most committed. He is the more committed. You guys get that? Christ is the more committed. Where you and I falter, where you and I fall short, man, let's follow behind Christ, right? Let's continue to to pray and engage and to share to live missionally here in our community and in this world, believing, believing that Christ is indeed committed to the salvation of sinners, that he restores sight. Christ restores sight. To see Christ is to worship Christ, and to worship Christ is to transform the way that we live our lives in this world. Does that make sense? Are we good? Dude, gosh, Mark 8, such an incredible passage.